1: Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day in tears. It was a warning. For three years, Paul kept telling me. And this is the reason why warnings are important. Sometimes we hear the warnings too much that we don't pay attention and we ignore it. Take counsel. Hear the Word of God when you hear a warning, and Paul is giving them a warning.
0: In a world brimming with alluring promises of wealth, fame, and relevancy, remaining true to God's Word can be difficult. In today's message from Pastor Eddie, he urges you to recognize the fake promises that seek only to lead you astray from God and destroy your life. The comfort of worldly pursuits never lasts, only tempting you with temporary satisfaction full of empty assurances. Always keep the Bible close to your heart as your unshakable foundation. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he begins his message, Warning Against False doctrine.
1: First Timothy chapter one, we're going to read from verses three through 11, three to 11. Paul writes, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they may teach no other doctrine, nor give heeds to fables and endless genealogies, which cause dispute rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The Apostle Paul begins to write to Timothy a warning against false doctrines. A warning against false doctrines. So we read our text. Now let us study our text verse by verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. And so Paul urged, in other words, he begged, he beseeched. And is uncertain as to why the Apostle Paul had to really urge Timothy to stay in Ephesus, it could be that Timothy wanted to be with Paul as he was on his way to Macedonia. He looked up to Paul as a father in the faith, and so that could be one reason. Macedonia is in the northern region of Greece, and while Ephesus is 1,018 miles in the western shore of Asia Minor, we know that as modern-day Turkey. Now, that could be one reason, or, which is most more likely the case, Timothy had felt inadequate. Inadequate to deal with the false teachers who were in Ephesus. Timothy, at this time, as he reads this letter, he's in his 40s, but he began to follow Paul when he was in his 30s, so he's still pretty much a young man, and still learning of the gospel, and still being discipled by the apostle Paul. And so Paul often encourage Timothy as his son in the faith, as his protege. In first Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, he encourages him regarding his youth. He says to him, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the word, in conduct in love, in spirit, and in faith, in purity. Then he encouraged him regarding his fear. And you're probably familiar with this verse. He wrote to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So Paul, obviously, always encouraged Timothy. Timothy probably didn't want to go because, oh, I got to deal with troubled people. I got to deal with the leaders of all people I had to deal with. And he probably felt inadequate. And I could be honest, I could relate with Timothy. Sometimes you just don't want to deal with troubled people. Again, the problem with church is because of people. people. Very good. (laughs) Wherever there's people, in the gym, in the hospital, in politics, wherever there's people, there's always problems. And the church is no different. The church is no different. For the sake of the church, for the fellowship, and even for the troubled individual a pastor and a leader must address and deal with certain issues to keep the church growing in their faith and to keep them in unity. Again, this is a letter to pastors. and For some people, it's not really a popular topic, but this is how we study God's word, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're learning that there are difficult, there are problems in the church. Those of you who have been in the church, you know what I'm talking about. I was raised in the church pretty much since I was about eight or nine years old. I remember I used to really looked up to people who had an incredible testimony. You know, some who were former drug dealers in prison, and they gave their lives to the Lord. And I would say, man, that's an incredible testimony. I wish I had a testimony like that. Not that I wished I'd been in jail or took drugs, but... To share with someone, man, yeah, God took me from the mind. He transformed my life. But you know, I remember once somebody told me when I shared that with a person, and the person said, well, praise the Lord, you made it through the church. Some of you got it. All right. Yeah, okay. You made it through the church. <laughs> I didn't have a testimony like that, but I made it through the church. And so and I have to say I'm grateful, you know, you know, I guess with my law enforcement background that I'm not afraid to deal with problems. <laughs> you always call to problems. <laughs> you meet people at their worst. You're not called for a barbecue. There's a reason why they call the police. But, you know, it's important that we need to address issues, especially in the house of God. And here Paul is telling Timothy, listen, I need you to stay in Ephesus. I need you to stay in Ephesus. The issue's there, that if it's not resolved, that church will fall apart. That church will fall apart. So he says, I urge you, verse 1, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some, that they teach no other doctrine. The Apostle Paul is giving the pastors and leaders a charge here. That the pastors and leaders of the churches in Ephesus And remember, Paul is speaking with authority, with the authority of God. If you look back up in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking with authority. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. It's inspired. It's in harmony with the other scriptures It doesn't contradict. No one can say, well, Paul was this kind of guy, so I'm not going to listen to Paul in this area or that area. He speaks with the authority. He says, now, the charge here in the Greek is a military term, and it means to give strict orders, a command from a superior officer to a subordinate. And those of you who have been in the military, I've never been in the military, I've been in paramilitary, but you know when a command is given, you have to follow. This is a command that Paul is now giving to the church of Ephesus because they're teaching things other than the Bible. Now, if you go back to AD 57, at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he gathers the elders and teachers and pastors of Ephesus at what we know as the first ever pastor's conference. We find that in Acts chapter 20, where he gives them a warning He gives them a warning at the very end of his missionary journey. So in Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 30, Paul speaks this as Luke writes the book of Acts. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I mean, I taught you the whole Bible. Well, the Old Testament. (laughs) I haven't held back anything. And this is why we teach the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. He says, therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day in tears. It was a warning for three years, Paul kept telling you. And this is the reason why warnings are important. Sometimes we hear the warnings too much that we don't pay attention and we ignore it. Take counsel. Hear the word of God when you hear a warning. And Paul has given them a warning. That's back in AD 57. Now we move forward now to six, seven years around 62 to 64 AD when Paul writes this letter. That the very warning that Paul had made to them when he was in tears, nine days has come to fruition. Savage wolves had come and they had been speaking perverse things in the church. Men within the church were drawing people away to themselves. And that happens. I can just picture Paul saying, didn't I tell you? I told you. Didn't I tell you? And so here, Paul gives a charge to the teachers in Ephesus. And once again, another warning. Now, some of the teachers of Ephesus have veered off from the gospel. They veered off from the word of God, the things that Paul has taught them. And no doubt they were taking notes, just like you take notes today. But they took notes. These are the instructions of the apostle Paul. This is the one that met Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is the one that was a Pharisees of the Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament in and out. And he took three years after he gave his life to the Lord, three years in the desert, Why did he take three years in the desert? He had to relearn the whole Old Testament. And he found Jesus Christ from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And now he's able to see clearly. Jesus was the hermeneutical filter between the Old Testament and now the New Testament. Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And he gave them instruction on in how they are to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they have veered off from the word of God. They've veered off in the simplicity of the gospel, sound doctrines to what Paul calls in this passage, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Drop down to verse 11. Look at what Paul writes in verse 11. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And so Paul says, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. that they here are the teachers in the church. Not all the churches. He said some. Apparently, some of the teachers stood out from not teaching the gospel, talking about things that are not about the word of God. And so he's speaking of these teachers. In verse 3, he says that you may charge some that they, number one, teach no other doctrine. That's the first thing. Teach nothing but the Bible. Teach the glorious gospel of Christ. Verse 4, look at verse 4. Nor give heed to, number two, fables. And number three, endless genealogies, which causes dispute rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the word fable here is the Greek word is mythos, and is from where we get the word myth. What is a myth? It's a piece of fiction that narrates a chain of related events, and you know what a myth is. Can you imagine teaching myth, fictional stories in the church? And so Paul is saying, you know, these things are just fictional. There's no truth to it. There's no truth to it. And they just kept adding to these fables. And that's all that was pretty much dominating their fellowship, dominating their time together. Can you imagine fictional stories in the church? Fictional stories in the place that is built on the truth of Jesus Christ. Fictional stories that is in the place that has the truth, where the truth of the word of God is taught. Can you imagine? But then again, The sad reality is we don't have to imagine that. It's already in the church today. Fables. They use stories and fictions and illustrations and everything, and then they give you one Bible verse. One Bible verse. Give you that one Bible verse, there's no interpretation of that word. Or giving you that passage, that verse in the passage, and keep it in context. You know, we can see it happened even in Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago. So, because there are people... (laughs) who are not obedient to the word of God, and sometimes instead of being in the spirit, they're in the flesh, and they want to bring attention to themselves, they bring some kind of fables. And this had made its way over into the church in Crete. This is where Paul also had to write to Pastor Titus in Titus. This is what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He says, Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. This is a pattern. Any and all fiction myths or fables should not be entertained, especially in the house of God. It should not. It should not be in the house of God. It should not be in Bible studies. It should not be in small groups. And when you do have a study in small groups, make sure... the Bible study is well in order and is sticking to the scriptures, not using a book from some unknown author. You know, I have people say, "Hey, you know, you should read this book," or have the men study this book or have the ladies study this book, and you start finding out the author and the, what the book is all about. It has nothing to do with God. Yeah, they mention God. It's all about feelings and emotions. And you get together, you start asking each other, "So, let's read this passage." What does this mean to you? That's the worst thing to ask. If you're in a Bible study and say, let's read this passage, what does it mean to you? Run. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It's what the Bible's trying to tell you. It's what God is trying to tell you. And you have people who don't know anything about the scriptures. They start interpreting it and forget it. And so they need to stay away from fables, stick to the truth of Jesus Christ and his word and the Bible. Now, the false teachers were giving heed to endless genealogies as well. Now, it's not clear how they used genealogies, but I believe the fact that Paul inserted endless genealogies. Most likely, some of the teachers there, the false teachers, were using genealogies for their advantage and were saying, well, I'm from the tribe of Judah. And they started using the gene of going back to the old testament patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob and say well i'm from the line of david so i'm related to jesus i can imagine the conversations can you imagine everyone talking about who are they related to who their great 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 father is or grandmother whatever and one would stand in the midst of them and say well my father was a murderer and my grandfather was a prisoner. And he goes on and on. I'm from a full line of prisoners. Who do you think is going to be next in line to be a deacon? Definitely not that guy. Why? Because the other guys are just puffing themselves up. Oh, I'm from the line of Levi. I should be the priest. It's in the blood. And that's what genealogy does. Who do you think they're going to treat better? Who's going to be next in line? You know, I love the fact that when we come to Jesus, you know, our sinful history is completely erased. You know, there are pastors who've been ex-prisoners, murderers, drug dealers, drug addicts. One is uh, Pastor Mike McIntosh, who's always been my mentor. Since I was 15 years old, I always used to listen to him on the radio. I had the opportunity of meeting him later in life and now have a relationship with him as far as, you know, I still call him pastor. He'll call me. He'll say, you don't have to call me. I call him pastor. But he was heavy into drugs. He was one of the hippie guys that got saved with Chuck Smith. When one repents and surrenders their lives to Jesus Christ, that person's sinful history is completely erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now after that, when you accept Jesus, you're now added to the family of God. There's your genealogy. What's your genealogy? Oh, let's look at Matthew. (laughs) And it leads to Jesus Christ. I am now a son of Jesus Christ because that's the genealogy that matters. We've been grafted in. Titus chapter three, verse nine, Paul says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. I love Paul. Endless genealogies, these genealogies means nothing. The only genealogy that matters is given to us, and listed for us in the Bible from Genesis chapter 5 in the Old Testament before the flood. It leads all the way up to, and it connects with Matthew and the book of Luke, the genealogies. Of the Messiah, That genealogy is the most important of them all. That's why some people always ask the question, well, whether well, Cain get his wife, who cares? We know it's probably going to be a sister, but you don't know, understand. The Bible cannot give everyone the lineage of every person that exists. The Bible was only focusing on one genealogy, the seed of the woman who would come and be birth of the children of Israel, and he is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, your King, your Lord, and mine that's the genealogy that matters. So people get all caught up in that. But what that does also, it causes disputes. Foolish things, fables, myths, genealogies, all it does, it causes disputes. That's what Paul says here. And the reason why these things cause dispute is because it's not godly and it's not biblical, unless you're pointed to Jesus' genealogy. Other than that, that's the reason why it causes dispute, because whatever the topic is, is man-made. Is it fictional? It is the word of God that binds us and unites us together in agreement. We have this konania, the, the Greek word konania is fellowship. We have something in agreement, Jesus Christ and the word of God. There can't be no disputes there. Now, granted, some people dispute the word of God. And even Paul says, what are you disputing, you know? find the truth, rightly divide the word of truth, and divide the word of God and seek the scriptures to find the truth. But Paul writes here in the end of verse 4, so it causes disputes rather than godly edification. Disputes does not promote order in the house of God, and this is what Paul is writing. This is the purpose of this letter, to bring structure, to bring order, and some of the things that divide a church, some of the things that causes a problem is false teaching, and that's why Paul has to address this head on. The focus of the believer's life and the church must be clear and of sound doctrine found in the word of God. It is not in human speculation or genealogies. If you're approached by someone that starts talking about fiction myths, endless genealogies, or you get into a conversation where today's topic—and I'm gonna go there—COVID, vaccine, politics, you see, all it does, it causes dispute. That's all it does.
0: Aren't you glad you decided to join us today on Running the Race? ready has been making his way through the book of 1 Timothy, where we're learning some great truths for living and leading in the church. In chapter 1, verse 18, and chapter 6, verse 12, Paul wrote, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You too are encouraged to fight the good fight, stand firm in your convictions, and know that you have the full power of God when you speak his name. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Running the Race is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you.
2: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com.
0: Thanks, Jessica. Head over right now to runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church and hear more messages and we'll connect with you next time, here on Running The Race.